Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. Thank you so much for uh, joining us this morning for uh, this Harvest uh, KL service. I'm thankful for the elders to invite me to share the word with you. This is uh, a season called Lent. Uh, Lent is uh, a season where people take some time for personal reflection uh, to prepare their hearts and minds for in a couple of weeks for Good Friday as well as for Easter or I prefer to call it the Resurrection Sunday. Uh, so this uh, morning I would like to uh, help us do a little bit of uh, personal reflection about our own personal relationship uh, with God. Uh, the topic for consideration is how to know God uh, deeper or how to go deeper uh, with God and instead of just uh, preparing ourselves for Good Friday or Resurrection Sunday, uh, our reflection is more to prepare us for the Judgment Day. The scripture says in Second uh, Corinthians 5, some of you may know in verse 10, it says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether it's good or bad. And this is uh, something that uh, we would like to consider what we are doing. And I hope that uh, through this morning's uh, session, uh, you will take some time to reflect uh, perhaps uh, one thing that you would like to do differently. Uh, the scripture says in uh, Hebrews 9 and verse 27 that man is destined to die once and after that uh, to face uh, judgment. So uh, I hope our personal reflection uh, this morning would uh, guide us, uh, to prepare us to uh, face that uh, a judgment. Um, of course, uh, like all uh, of us when we need to give an accounting or to be judged uh, there's a sense of fear and if we know what is coming that will help us perhaps uh, to prepare ourselves better and we will consider uh, Jesus uh, because Jesus is the one who will be uh, judging us that day and uh, in Revelation, he has uh, spoken about his knowledge of uh, the seven churches, uh, what are the things that he saw in them that is good, and what are the things that uh, he would like them to uh, correct and take uh, notice of. Uh, in Revelation 2, he says that uh, he would like all the churches, and that would probably include Harvest Care, to know that it is he who searches hearts and minds and that he will repay each one according to uh, their deeds. So 
uh, I'm going to um, use uh, Jesus' uh, evaluation of the, uh, the seven churches, as well as uh, Jesus' evaluations of uh, two other groups of people uh, to show to us and to use that as a guide to help us uh, do our own personal reflections, to prepare ourselves so that when we do uh, see him face to face on that day, uh, you can say we will be more prepared. So, uh, before I go further, let's uh, come to the Lord in prayer and uh, ask Him to, to guide us uh, as we uh, open our hearts to listen to His Word. Father, we come before you and using the words of the psalmist in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. You know our hearts. It's often hard to know even for ourselves. We engage in self-deception. We ask, Lord, that you would test us and uh, know our thoughts, our thoughts of anxiety, our thoughts of fear. And we ask, Lord, that uh, you will see if there's any way that is offensive to you and that uh, you will uh, help us to address them and to remove them and lead us farther in the way everlasting, the way that is uh, revealed to us in your word. And that we pray that as we listen, that your spirit will take that word and uh, make it uh, real to us. Let the words of uh, our mouth this morning, or my mouth this morning, and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable and pleasing uh, in your sight. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Okay, um, Paul in his uh, concluding uh, letter to the church in Corinth uh, has this verse which I thought I would start with. He says in 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5, he says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Uh, test yourselves. Uh, do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? So, uh, this idea of personal reflection, examining ourselves, testing ourselves against what God has said is something that uh, is, you can say, foundational to what Paul is teaching and uh, it helps us to uh, prepare to do what is right and to do what is pleasing to God. But Paul says that in all this uh, because church, the Corinthian church is a problematic church. He writes a lot of, there are a lot of issues there. And I'm sure that uh, those issues uh, are also issues in our own lives. But Paul is very clear that uh, in encouraging them to do self-examination, it is that he's asking them to do the everything he taught them and he asked them to do is for their strengthening. He says it is not to tear them down, but to build them up. So I want to also use uh, this uh, position that uh, our reflection this morning is to help each one of us to strengthen our own faith in Christ, to build us up, to review our own uh, spirituality, our own spiritual standing before God, so that uh, we will not be teared down on that judgment day. Rather, that on that day, we will receive 
uh, good commendation from the Lord. Uh, the, using the words that Jesus himself says, that you will be, you are my good and faithful servant. So even as we go through uh, those uh, Bible passages, and I encourage you to uh, take note of those verses that I'll point you to, and even have your Bible uh, on hand to refer to those passages, and perhaps to reflect and to identify what is the one thing that you need to address in your life right now. Uh, because uh, Jesus himself said that oftentimes when we listen to a sermon like this or to any messages, we always think that uh, it's, you know, we think that it applies more to the other person that uh, we would like to change. Uh, but Jesus said in uh, Luke 13 that uh, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. So the encouragement for in Scripture for us is uh, to repent. Uh, Jesus was uh, telling them that I uh, don't think that those group of Galileans that uh, Pilate used in his pagan sacrifices and mixed it up with their with their pagan sacrifices are any uh, worse sinners, or that the uh, eighteen people who were perished because uh, the tower fell on them. Uh, Tower of Silo fell on them, that they were more guilty. Jesus tell them, no, don't look at it that way. He says that unless you repent, you will likewise perish. So I encourage each one of us to uh, reflect and to see what it is that uh, in our own lives we need to uh, repent of. And that um, I'll begin with uh, what Jesus said in John 10 about his sheep. He says, I know my sheep. So he knows. And he says, my sheep listen to my voice and they follow me. So I want to uh, ask to consider, are we listening to the voice of Jesus? And I pray that he does uh, through his Holy Spirit this morning. And that you will decide to follow the lead of the Spirit as you listen to him. And he says, I know them. So in I'm not going to take you through the in detail all that Jesus said to the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, and I hope you will take some time uh, to go through them yourselves. But that uh, there it is recorded about what Jesus' evaluation of those uh, group of believers were and what was it that Jesus was looking for. And I thought that it would be uh, helpful for us to take note of those things that Jesus said, especially those things that Jesus said that we need or they need to be uh, repentant of. That means uh, those things that are negative. Uh, to the first church, he says, uh, I know that uh, I know your deeds, uh, that uh, your hard work, your perseverance, those are the good things. But the negative thing, the first negative thing Jesus said was that, I know you have forsaken your first love. So you can say, uh, Jesus have often taught in Scripture that the first thing, that the first commandment and the greatest of all commandments is to love God with all our heart, mind, and soul, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So, uh, to the first church in Ephesus, he says, "You have forsaken your first love." So, the question that we need to ask ourselves is, where is our love for God uh, this morning? Is it where it should be? Am I following the commands of God? Am I listening to Him? Am I following Him? 
and then to the next uh, church, uh, second church, it says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, and I know who oppose you. And some of us are facing difficult times now uh, in our personal circumstances uh, because of the COVID situation. We don't have very much. We are suffering. Uh, in some of our relationships, uh, we feel the pain of opposition. Uh, Jesus says, he knows all that. To the third church, he says, uh, I know where you live. Uh, that's where Satan is. Uh, but say, you remain true to me. I know some of you have gone astray, enticed by worldly pleasures. And this is one of the things that, again, uh, Jesus, uh, when he looks at his people, he often would ask, you know, uh, how are we faring in this, in this world? Uh, Satan will always use the, the things of this world to distract us, uh, to draw us away from our faithful uh, uh, walk with God. And the worldly pleasures, the, the pleasures of the appeal of money, uh, sexual immorality and uh, power and glory, these are the things that uh, the evil one will use to draw us away from our service to God. And this is what Jesus uh, told the, the church in Pergana, the third church. He says, I know some among you has gone in that direction. And he tell them all, you need to repent or else uh, there will be that accounting, there will be that uh, judgment to follow. And to the fourth church, he says, I know uh, your deeds of your love, uh, your faith, your service, your perseverance, uh, those are the good things. But then, even to the fourth church in Thyatira, he says, I know uh, your compromises and uh, you tolerated some uh, false uh, teachers, false teachings. So this is something that uh, we all need to be mindful of, especially in these uh, last days where there are so much uh, false uh, hood, uh, or as the media put it, uh, fake news. Uh, but uh, for us, it is not the news that matters. It is what will take us away from the truth of God. And, uh, and this is a challenge which I will come to. How are you going to anchor your faith on the Word of God and not uh, be tempted to take the easy road of compromises and... Uh, to adopt and embrace uh, false teachings uh, in order to avoid the pain and the cost of discipleship, of uh, following what Jesus has said, his commands. And this is uh, something that we need to be careful, uh, and Jesus is looking for that. And to the fifth church in Sardis, it says, uh, oh, this is a quite a, a damning uh, Judgment. It says, I know you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. And this is something, again, we must be uh, careful because oftentimes we like to paint, uh, we wear, like to wear a mask. We like to uh, be seen to be good on the outside. Uh, but Jesus says, yeah, you have a reputation for, for, for looking good, for being alive. But right inside, Jesus says, you are dead. And this, again, is... Um, Something we need to pay attention to that sometimes when we do church, uh, when we uh, practice our so-called Christianity, whatever we hold that to be, 
question whether it is just something external or is there real change uh, in our hearts. And here Jesus is telling the church in Sardis, the fifth church, that yeah, this church had the reputation uh, of being alive. That means people look to them, they all can say, say the right words, sing the right songs, uh, do the right things, so to say, uh, externally, but down in their hearts, they are dead. And this would be something that uh, you don't want to hear from Christ on that uh, day of judgment. And on the, on the sixth church, uh, this is a model church, a church in Philadelphia. It says, I know your deeds, you have little strength, but yet you have kept my word. And this is what uh, you and I would like to hear from Jesus on that day, that uh, notwithstanding how weak we might be uh, as seen by those in this world, yet we have been faithful uh, in following him and keeping to his word. And the seventh church, the church in Laodicea, it says, I know you are lukewarm. I wish you were either way hot or cold, and this is something that uh, Jesus would like each one of us uh, to really consider. How zealous are we uh, for our faith? To be lukewarm is to be complacent, to be indifferent, whatever happens is okay, and sometimes that's our attitude towards uh, our church, uh, our attitude towards uh, our fellow believers. Uh, what Jesus is telling the church in Laodicea is, uh, this is this is not not the way. You need to be zealous. You need to be on fire for for each other. And this is uh, you can say this is uh, a brief summary of uh, what Jesus knew his sheep during the, the seven churches. And he's telling them that they need to listen to his voice and they need to choose to follow. And I thought that I would uh, bring those uh, issues that Jesus have uh, taken issue with, the seven churches in Revelation, and I would uh, encourage you to uh, reflect on those uh, words of Jesus, those uh, you can say yardsticks that he had used to uh, measure those uh, first century uh, believers and apply it in your own lives and ask yourself, where am I in this, in my walk with God? Jesus says he knows you. He searches all our hearts and he will repay each one according to what we have done. You notice that in all the seven churches, he says, I know your deeds. So, yes, we don't rely on our deeds to be saved, but as Paul said in Ephesians 2, that of the faith that we have, uh, God wants us to manifest, to show that faith through the deeds that we do. That's why Jesus says to the first church, you have forsaken your first love. Your deeds are not complete. So, as we move towards Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday, what is the one thing in your life that you think you need to address 
and to repent of so that you will get a deeper relationship with God. I'm going to now move to what Jesus said to the leaders of that time, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Uh, because you can say these groups, these two groups of people, you can say represent uh, religious people like us Christians today. And what Jesus said to them is a measurement that we need to take note of because uh, it is something that should lead us to reflect and help us to hear God more clearly. Um, like what we are all now doing in our small group, this series on Crazy Love by Francis Chan. Um, you know, he says that oftentimes we, our faith is rest on something that is fed to us rather than something that we read and think about that is from the Bible. So one of the thing, one of the lessons that I have learned from Francis Chan in this series of Crazy Love in our small group is how to think biblically. That means to, to examine critically uh, what we hold on as uh, truth and to able to convince ourselves from our own Bible, from our own reading, uh, what really is God's word. And the Sadducees had this problem. Uh, Jesus spoke to them. You know the Sadducees are the ones uh, that Jesus spoke in Matthew 22. He says some Sadducees one day came to Jesus and uh, this Sadducees says that there is no resurrection. Again, this question about there is no resurrection and that become the dominant foundation belief of the Sadducees. Now where did they get that idea from? That you can say, for us, we now know that resurrection is, found, is found, found, uh, foundational to our faith. Without the resurrection, there is no Christianity, there is no Christ, Christ is dead. And then as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, we myself just uh, do our own thing, enjoy life, and that's it. But because there is resurrection, we will all have to face that day of accounting. But this seduces they started and says, there's no resurrection. No. Where did they get that from? Definitely it's not from the scripture. Because they came to Jesus with this question in Matthew 22. Um, and they started with this question. It says, Moses told us. Okay, so this is where they begin with. Oftentimes, the problem with uh, Sadducees is that they start with a verse or a part of the scripture. And then from there, they spring off to... Uh, their own imaginations or their own logic in order to uh, come up with uh, supposedly gaining insight. So these Pharisees, uh, Sadducees came to Jesus and said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, then his brother must uh, marry the widow and have children for him. And that's true. Now that then he, they created this scenario. He says now that we have seven brothers among us. The first one married and died. And since he had no children, he left his wife and his brother. And the same thing happened to the second brother, the third brother, and all go on until all the seven. So they created this hypothetical, perhaps it's real, perhaps it's I don't know. And then since the finally the woman died. Then they asked the question, you say there's resurrection right now, resurrection, resurrection, whose wife will she be then? 
since all seven already have her and married to her? Jesus replied to the Sadducees, it's something that I think we should take for serious reflection. He says, you are in error because you do not know the scripture or the power of God. You are in error. Christ did not attempt to try and convince them that, not, that there is resurrection or no resurrection. He didn't even engage in the argument because where did they get that from? They did not get it from the scripture because uh, Jesus went on to say in Matthew 22 verse 30, he says, at the resurrection, Jesus presumed the truth is that there is a resurrection. And he told the people of the Sadducees, at the resurrection, people will neither marry or be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God has said to you? Verse 31. Alright? Jesus was pointing to the Sadducees. What God has said to you. So, it, to me, when I read that, it points me back to go back and read the Bible. Read the scripture. What God has said. Oftentimes, we seek new insights and then we start uh, to go beyond the Bible. We read other philosophical books and that's where you get things that is outside of uh, the Bible. Jesus brings the Sadducees back and says, Have you not read what God has said to you? So my encouragement to you is that you can prevent ourselves from going down the path of error and not knowing the scripture and not knowing the power of God by going back to what God has said in the scripture. Look back to the scriptures and not to seek new revelation because Jesus, when he came as the word of God, Jesus told us, you go, and go back and read, I don't have time to elaborate that in John 17. He says, everything that the Father wants to tell you, I have made it known to you. So, between now and the time when Jesus comes again, right, we need to listen to what God has said to us in the scripture and to follow that. And then to conclude that uh, segment on the, the Pharisees in Matthew, uh, the Sadducees in Matthew 22, Jesus then go back to the simple words which they have all missed. He says, I am the God of Abraham. This is uh, Jesus telling the Sadducees, this is what God has said. He says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Of course, they knew that. This is a standard phrase they always refer to and talk about their God, the Jehovah. He says, but he is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So Jesus is saying that since you call Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as uh, your ancestors, then and they, in your human sense, is dead. But in order that the Jehovah God is God of the living, then this Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who is dead, must live again. And in that simple insight, uh, Jesus points to the Sadducees that you are in error. In the resurrection, you will see Abraham, 
Isaac and Jacob with God with God as their uh, Lord Almighty. And when the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. So that means the crowd themselves uh, don't know their scriptures. So I want to just uh, use this passage in Matthew 22, what Jesus said to the Sadducees to help us to avoid the path of error and to know our scriptures, to know what God has said in the Bible. As uh, Francis Chan said in his Crazy Love series, don't be fed by other people. Go to your Bible and read it for yourselves. You see, when after Jesus has died and he rose from the dead, there is this uh, record in uh, Luke 24 on the road of Emmaus. and some of you may know that quite familiar, the two of them are uh, walking uh, from uh, uh, Jerusalem to Emmaus, uh, a distance of about seven miles or about 11 uh, kilometers. And there Jesus revealed uh, the word, the scriptures to them. And these are, you can say, ordinary disciples. Uh, we don't know who they are until this record, and only one name is given, Cleopas. Uh, but Jesus knew them, and Jesus came alongside them and talked to them. And I, you can read the, the whole chapter, Luke 24. I just wanted to bring uh, to your attention uh, three, uh, three, three parts or three verses in that uh, chapter of Luke 24. The first is um, these two disciples says that uh, they were talking about the Jesus of Nazareth who is powerful in word and in deed. And this is the Jesus that we should draw near to, to get to know. And when we get to know him, we will indeed be like him, powerful in the word, which is the word of God, we recorded for us now in the Gospels, in the Bible, and also powerful indeed. And this is where uh, you remember the words that Jesus used against the, uh, the Sadducees, that uh, they neither know the scriptures nor they do the, nor the word of God. So as they were talking along, um, when they were just about to reach their place, Jesus asked them, you know, or Jared, uh, Jesus, in fact, the two disciples were, um, you can say amazed uh, because Jesus was just asking them questions and these two disciples were remarking to Jesus, you mean you don't know all this? Then Jesus rebuked them, he says, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Again, Jesus is pointing these two uh, disciples back to what is written in the scriptures. And then in verse 27 of Luke 24, he says, beginning with Moses, uh, and all the prophets, that means uh, going back to all the way to Genesis, uh, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So uh, here Jesus is telling these uh, two disciples that uh, what is recorded in the Bible from Genesis all the way until Revelation is all about himself, concerning himself. And he opened the scriptures to them, and then later on, 
when they came to realize that it was Jesus, uh, they remarked to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us uh, when he spoke to us about the scripture? And I pray that this is our own experience when we come to read uh, the, the Bible, the scriptures for ourselves, that indeed uh, your heart will be burning, will be open, will be uh, hot uh, uh, with uh, the Word of God, and that you will be zealous for uh, to know more about uh, Jesus and uh, about uh, what He has uh, for us. So, because uh, Paul himself said in Colossians 3, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So, wherever you are in your knowledge of the Bible, uh, don't stay there. The idea is to be richly soaked with the word of Christ. Um, it is recorded for us precisely to teach us so that we can ourselves uh, will know the truth and not be in error, and to, then to use that truth to admonish one another, to teach one another, uh, not with wisdom of this world, but with wisdom that comes uh, from above, which the Spirit of God uh, will give. And I also want to point you to uh, that verse, which is one of my favorite in Acts 17 and verse 11, because this group of people called the Bereans, uh, they were listening to Paul and uh, Dr. Luke, who is recording this in Acts 17, says that these Bereans were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. Why? Because they received the message, that is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, with great eagerness. That means they, they really want to know, uh, not, not, not being lukewarm, not being uh, complacent about it, but they listened. Uh, with great eagerness. And then what did they do? Because what they heard from Paul was something new, something radical. Paul was talking to them about Jesus Christ, about the resurrection, you know, about the judgment day to come. And he says they went back and they examined the scriptures every day. That means they go and go back and they read the Bible so that they can think biblically. So to see if what Paul, what Paul said to them was true. And so this is what we need to do. And if we do that, then you will always hear the true words of Jesus. Jesus says, I know you. And you will, you will like the two disciples on the road to be Emmaus. As you read your scripture, uh, the Bible will be open to you. But don't read them the way the Pharisees. Now I'm coming to the third group of people that I'm pointing you to. I to pointed you to what Jesus said about the seven churches. I pointed to you what Jesus said to the Sadducees. Now, in the last five minutes or so, I will tell to you about what Jesus said to the Pharisees. You know, the Pharisees, they, they in John chapter 5 and verse 39, um, you can see uh, Jesus' uh, evaluation or assessment of the Pharisees was this. He says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. So in a sense, they were studying the scriptures. They were doing what the uh, Acts 17 verse 11 was uh, saying. They were studying the scriptures. But these scriptures are the very scriptures that talk about me, Jesus was telling the Pharisees. But yet they refuse to come, or you refuse to come to me to have life. So what the Pharisees doing was uh, they were they were studying the scriptures, 
but they will sign the scriptures with an ulterior motive. That means whatever that fit their, their, their own presupposition, they accept. Whatever they didn't fit, they throw away. Right? That's why when they read the scriptures, they couldn't come to Jesus because they didn't accept Jesus as the, 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 the Messiah. Right? In fact, uh, Jesus commented about them. He says, you are like what Isaiah says. This, you read this in uh, Mark 7, uh, verse 7 to 9. It says, this Pharisee, it says, their teachings are but rules taught by men. They are not, you know, it says, they, the, the problem with the Pharisees is that uh, when they read the scriptures, they created rules for themselves. Uh, verse 8 of Mark 7 says, you have let go of the commands of God and you are holding on to the traditions of men. It says you have a fine way to set aside the commands of God in order to observe your own uh, tradition. So this is a problem. Sometimes when you search a scripture, and there are many people who do that, even, even biblical scholars, uh, when they come to the scripture, they come with an ulterior motive rather than to be open to learn what God is, wants them to do in their lives. They want to find things that will fit their own uh, tradition or their own things that they would like to see. So the problem with the Pharisees is that they are practicing, both the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they are practicing a, a religion without a relationship. Right? So whereas Christ came to establish for us a relationship back to God. That's why Jesus says in John 10, says, I know them. And God wants us to have that relationship with him. And this is what uh, Jesus said to the Pharisees in John 5. He says, you need to come to him. And that's what uh, Jesus himself uh, invited everyone. In Matthew 11 and verse 28, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And that invitation is given to us today. Those of us who feel weary, tired, burdened, with whatever the issues of life you're grappling with, it says, come. And I encourage you in your reflection this morning to come to Jesus. Jesus promised that he will give us rest. You can learn from him uh, what, how to behave in this life, to be gentle and to humble in heart so that you can find rest for your soul. And I encourage you that in your personal reflection, that as you come to Jesus, and open your heart, the door of your heart to Him uh, and receive Him. He, through His Spirit, will reveal to you what is wrong in your life, what is the one thing that you need to repent of right now. In 1 John 5, uh, the Apostle John writes this, he says, and this is the testimony that God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. So if you want to experience Eternal life. Now, eternal life is not long life in the here, uh, hereafter, that means the next life. No. Eternal life begins right here, today, right where you and I are. And this life is in the Son. He who has the Son, referring to Jesus Christ, has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. And the Pharisees don't have this life. They are condemned to hell, according to Jesus Christ, because they refuse to come to Him. Jesus says in John 17, 3, that now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom 
he has sent. So, don't be like the Sadducees. Don't be like the Pharisees. Come and be like those who listen to the voice of Jesus and who follow him. Jesus says that the Christian life is about knowing the power of God. And Paul writes it this way in Acts 26. He says, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ is to open the eyes of your eyes, the eyes of each one of us, to turn us from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sin and find a place among those who are sanctified by the faith in me. Following Christ is to experience the power of God to forgive. That's why in the Bible, Paul often writes about those who are saved to have no longer a guilty conscience, but a conscience that is clean, and only Christ can do that for you. So if your conscience is bad, if you're feeling guilty about something, you need to come to Jesus and uh, experience the power of God to forgive you and to cleanse you. The power of God is given to Jesus Christ because in Acts 4 it says salvation is found in no one else other than the name of Jesus which is given among men by which we must be saved. And we need the power in order to, uh, to be a witness for Jesus Christ, right? We all know that famous verse in Acts 1 and verse 8, Jesus told his disciples to stay in Jerusalem first, to wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And when he comes on you, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in all parts of the earth. So this is what uh, we need to do. We need to uh, receive uh, the Spirit of God in our lives because the Kingdom of God is not about talk, it's about the power of God. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4. The power of God to save us from our sin, the power of God to open our eyes that we may see the truth in the Scripture, the power of God uh, to experience Him in our daily walk and then to be a witness of him to the world, to the lost world, so that they too may come and experience the, that power for themselves. And that power is also to know the scripture so that um, we may know the truth. So in conclusion, I've spoken about that one verse, so that we may not walk in error, we may walk in truth, so that we may know the scriptures and not follow falsehood, that we may know the power of God uh, in our own lives so that we may be transformed. You can't change yourselves, you can't change others. Only God can do that. And that calls for the power of God. So if you want to make sure that uh, you are ready for that day of accounting, that judgment day, you need the power of God to transform you, to live a life here and now, so that you will be powerful both in deed and in word as Jesus Christ was when he was here on earth. <clears throat> Let me close with this uh, examination, these words in this church in Philadelphia, one of the seven churches in Revelation 3. You see, in the church of Philadelphia, it is a, actually a model church because that church 
has got no strength, but they kept the word of God and did not deny the name of Jesus. But in the church of Philadelphia, uh, Jesus refers, there's another place called the synagogue of Satan. Right? So, of course, the synagogue of Satan opposes the church of God. So the question I will pose to us today is, are we in the church of God or are we in the synagogue of Satan? If you want to follow God's, you keep God's word, although you may be weak, <clears throat> you need to follow in the strength of God, then you are choosing to be in the church, like in Philadelphia. Or you could be like Sadducees and the Pharisees who were opposing uh, Christ and his followers. And here Jesus is saying, these people, they, they, they call themselves Jews, but they are really not Jews. They are liars. They are following uh, Satan. And Jesus says, these are the synagogue of Satan. So even Satan knows about Jesus, right? Those the demons, right, that Jesus cast out. Even those demons believe that there is one God, and they recognize Jesus as the Son of the Most High God. So even those in the synagogue of Satan, you can say like what Jesus said of one of the churches, right? They have a reputation of being good, but inside they are dead. That's what they, what are people in the synagogue of Satan is. <clears throat> so I point you to this uh, Revelation 3, this church in Philadelphia. Make a right, in your own personal reflection, make the right choice to be in the church of Jesus Christ and not in the synagogue of Satan. Finally, let me close with this uh, verse in Matthew 7, where Jesus said of... Uh, what will happen when those judgment day comes? He says in Matthew 7, verse 21 to 23, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So we are here today. You and I, we are calling Jesus Christ Lord, Lord. The question is, are we doing the will of the Father who is in heaven? If you are not, then you need to do something today before that day of accounting comes. Jesus says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name, drive out demons and they perform many miracles. This is the deception. These are the people belonging to the synagogue of Satan. Even Satan will give you power to do all that thing. On the outside, but in the heart, there's death. And the most damning thing is in verse 23 of Matthew 7. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. That means these people have never been known by Jesus Christ. And yet in John 10, Jesus says, I know my sheep. So does do Jesus Christ know you? In your personal reflection, I will ask that you really come before God and ask Him to reveal to you what is wrong in your life, your Christian walk today, that you need to repent of so that you don't need to hear these dreadful words, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. On the other hand, I wish that we would all hear that words from Jesus. Come, you good and faithful servant. So I 
will pass this on to you as the reflection uh, for this morning that you would take this from the word that I have uh, laid out before you and do your own personal reflection that during this season of land as you lead towards Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday that your hearts will be more prepared to be responsive to what God will tell you in days to come. That on that judgment day, you will hear those words of commendation. You are my good and faithful servant. May God bless you. Amen.